Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Hello and welcome back. This is episode 71 of Dissonomics Podcast. As is the tradition, a quick shout out to the previous week's episode. The week before, I discussed three mini topics. I spoke about House of Fraser, the big department store, why it was just about to go bust, about 15,000 people about to lose their jobs, half their stores about to close, and then who came in to save the day, and why did House of Fraser get themselves in that predicament in the first place? Also, I discussed Boris Johnson's latest crazy remarks with regards to women wearing burqas and how it sparked the burqa debate and should burqas be banned? And I discussed as well Apple, the first US company to reach a a trillion dollar market cap and other nine biggest companies in the world and how you measure market cap and why is that why that's useful so make sure you check that episode out from last week soundcloud and apple music unfortunately my twitter got panned so you can't rely on my twitter to tell you when a new podcast is dropping but you guys should know by now tradition 10 30 on a sunday on soundcloud on apple Podcasts. you can catch me on instagram i might come to twitter i'm not too sure it's a bit sticky right now streets are on me I don't know why and in Dunish but maybe it's all my no dates agenda maybe the women finally got me out of here but I'm happy to I'm happy to go out on Mar. anyway 10.30 every Sunday 10.30 evening by the way 10.30pm every Sunday Apple Music and SoundCloud also you can still follow whatever I do and I'll show what I'm doing my podcasts I'll put snippets on my Instagram I'm going to start doing from now on so Instagram at Dysonomics.com I'm sorry, Instagram at Dysonomics.com Instagram just search Dysonomics obviously I've got my website I'm going to start updating that pretty soon I might start writing again and I want to try to sort out Facebook but anyway this week this week's episode is a long time coming um, I'm joined by my guy Tom some of you may know him from Capital Moments fantastic group You make sure you check them out and we discuss some geeky economic stuff. A lot of people have been asking us to talk about what's going on in Turkey. You must see in Turkey in the news for the last two weeks. And we discussed a thing called yield curves, which is a bit technical, but I think we did a good job breaking it down. So, without further ado, this week's episode 71, yield curves and what the F is going on with Turkey. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Hello, welcome back. This is episode 71 and this one's a long time coming. My guy Tom, what's good? <laughs> what's good? Long time. Long yeah, we've been time, planning this guy. for a minute, innit? Yeah, man. We're supposed to do, was it the election? Yeah. Last, last year and yeah, man. But we're here now. We're here now, man. Yeah, loads of people kind of fell down on the wayside for elections. After talking bare, <laughs> bare crud about their opinions, when it came time to talk, <laughs> they ran away, apart from you, but cool. Um, so, Tom, tell us about yourself. So, what do you do for a living? As, as, as usual, as much or as little information as you're comfortable with? Mm-hmm. Oh, um, well, firstly, thanks for... I'm happy we finally got to this point, so thanks for, for getting me on, on the podcast. Thanks for um, you coming on. You need some people with some brains, so. <laughs> um, so I think, what do I do? So for a, a living, I am a credit analyst. Um, so basically, I look at the, the corporate debt that companies issue, and we look at whether you know the debt is a good investment, um, for a variety of, of investors. So, you know, you've got pension funds, hedge funds, uh, loads of, of people in the financial markets, and we, we just analyze a number of companies 
Um, I look at uh, the European automotive companies, so all of the, the, the car companies you're familiar with. Some uh, companies you may not necessarily be, f- be familiar with, but they're definitely in your car. And I also look at some, some capital goods companies as well. So people who make trains and uh, power plants and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. And it's an interesting time at the moment to look into those things. So that's what I do for a living. So, uh, yeah. And how long have you been doing that for? I've uh, been doing that for maybe coming up to about two years now. So before that, I was at a startup, which was... Um, lending, uh, well, sort of, it was sort of lending to to law firms based on a specific um, kind of lending. So they'd actually lend us the rights to their cases, and we'd sort of give them what we call like a working capital loan. So to help them, you know, run their day to day business. Did that before. Uh, before that, I was uh, in. I was also doing fixed income research at an investment bank, uh, but looking at government bonds. So not looking at corporates but looking into governments or looking at rates and yeah that was straight out of uni so you know all in all probably working for coming up to maybe five years now i think so okay cool so um you mentioned university so where did you go if you would like to say you don't have to and what did you study (laughs) that's all right um i went to cambridge university and i did Got an expert yeah. on the, got an expert on the show. Be only the best. Well, go on. <laughs> Shut up, man. Why are you putting me on smoke, man? When people go to Cambridge, you have to respect it, man. It's not oh, easy. Bless you, man. <laughs> no, but easy. It, was, it was it was good. I learned a lot. It definitely. Oh, sorry. Um, well, I, I, didn't, I didn't catch. Um, what course did you study? Economics. Economics. All right, cool. Cambridge yeah, economics. It's not easy, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are. I think you asked the question a couple of weeks ago about what kind of economist are you, and I think um, Cambridge made me very much a Keynesian economist. I think going in, like, there's a, a strong Keynesian bias, um, obviously, because Keynes, you know, was at Cambridge and of kind of made his history uh, doing the the general theory. Um, as you sort of come out, you realise, okay, there is an element of truth to this. Um, but I'm sort of more behavioral, kind of spending time in markets makes you realize how crazy markets can can be sometimes and how they can focus. Um, they can they can have a laser-like focus on some things which are almost unnecessary, you know? Um, and, and that kind of is one of the reasons why we have, you know, fluctuations in business cycles and stuff like that. So, yeah. Did you always want to get into finance? What made you decide to study economics at university? Well, I think, um, well, actually, as a kid, I wanted to be an engineer. Um, I wanted to be an aer- aeronautical engineer as a kid and work for like Boeing or Airbus. Bloody hell. And then I, re- I realized at school that I wasn't, I mean, I was good at physics, but I wasn't, I wasn't great at physics. I was, okay. I was better with maths than I was better with history. And I kind of wanted to do a degree which I could, um, you know, spend as much time doing maths as, as I could reading and writing. And I think economics gave me that choice. In terms of going into finance, I'd always been interested in asking questions like why this, why that, why that, and you know, talking to people in finance. I said, you know, investment research could be a good area if you're ever, if you have a, you know, if you're curious and you're not necessarily interested in trading or sales. And I was never really interested in in trading, i.e., market making and providing liquidity to markets and sales. You know, I, um, I wasn't really interested in kind of looking after the needs of clients in terms of, you know, whining and dining them as much as I was yeah. actually thinking about the real issues. And I think that's what we get to do in our job. You know, we get to think about um, the real issues and you actually get to have a, a, a really strong knowledge base about something. So, you know, the amount I, I've, I've learned about things like yield curves earlier on in my career and now, you know, the kind of relationship that all the German auto companies have with each other and the relationship between you know the OEMs or someone like a BMW or a VW and the suppliers which actually make the engines you know you you get to learn things in a lot of depth so that was what I wanted in a career and you know I'm very satisfied and, and very happy by what I'm doing so yeah that's lit um moving on slightly from economics to politics um, mm-hmm. um again you don't have to say if you don't want to, but how <laughs> yeah. would you describe your political views? Are you on the political spectrum? And if you are, where? Um, you know what? It, 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 it definitely, it definitely fluctuates, but I think given like the background I've come from, I find myself to be, um, a bit more socio, socio democratic. So in terms of, 
things like the welfare state, I sit a little bit more on the left. I would say with economic matters, I sit a bit more on the right because the way I see it is that, and I've always seen it this way, if you want to break down the labor, the Tories and, and labor, it's a very simple dichotomy and, and perhaps it isn't true, but it's like labor know how to build up a welfare state and an, an economy, but the Tories know there isn't enough money in the pot, so they are the ones that curtail things back. And I think there are things you can learn from both um sets of parties so i kind of you know it, it really depends on what we're talking about you know in terms of elections i voted for different parties depending on you know the leader of the day or you know what the main agenda is or is there anything that kind of sticks out like a sore thumb but you know it, it really depends it really depends um you know i think integrity is is, is important in politics and if i see there's a, a politician which is being you know integral to things that are important to me then i'll go and vote for that that politician but that happens to change between um, political parties. I mean, a lot of people got swayed in the 2010 elections voting for the Lib Dems because of tuition fees. I was slightly too young to vote in the 2010 elections just by a couple of days, but um, you know, I, I would have seen, I, I could have seen myself easily voting for Liberals because of the tuition th thing. Because yeah. I think I, to me that was important. But obviously, they completely screwed themselves over. Yeah. By, you know, so so it, it really depends. So and it, it it just depends. And I think as you, I also think as people get older, they change their political views as well. But definitely, you know, I think I'm I'm definitely from a a bit more of a left background. I think, and I, I, sometimes I feel like I'll, I'll I'll kind of remain firmly rooted in that background. So yeah. Okay, it's it's quite interesting because even quite a few people I've spoken to who were just like maybe two to three years younger than me, maybe sometimes four, and they talk about mm -hmm. the political views. I'm like, listen, when you come out of uni and you start working and you start seeing how much tax you get slats with i'm sure certain some of your views will maybe start to alternate from both both genders and yeah 100 yeah. people's it's interesting like when you change your circumstance and you change your environment how you take voting and politics a bit differently so it's interesting you, you mentioned how it depends on the situation at the time which i think is probably the best way to go about politics and rather than having kind of blinded loyalty to political side yeah to me yeah, i mean i no i agree i i understand i mean i understand why people have that 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 blind loyalty to being like either you know hard left or hard right i can understand because it's what they see all around them but i think people need to be conscious and you can't just assume that a political party has your back and your best interests at heart 100 you know I mean? a lot of people think oh because someone's black for example that label's always going to have their back that's not always the case of you course. know you know, given given the, the the people we have in 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 the Tories, especially you know the backbenchers and those who are somewhat on the right, it makes a bit more sense to have that belief. But it isn't always that way, you know. And as as for taxes, it really just depends on, you know. Again, I think a lot of it politics is a weird thing. It, it you know it 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 ties a lot of past your present and your belief in the future as to how you think you know things are going to go. And and I think you know I've never had a problem paying you know taxes and more taxes and more taxes assuming it's going to the right place and but then you have to ask yourself that question is the question you must ask is you know what what is the government doing with my taxes do you know what i mean so um but yeah i mean i mean you know the way i see what this government has done and the government before theresa may especially with regards to to a particular vote, which we won't even go into, you know, <laughs> held, held a couple of years ago, you know, they completely, it was just founded on lies on both sides. It was founded on lies, but you know, it was, uh, you know, kind of a big wake up call, I think to a lot of people, do you know what I mean? And I work with a lot of Europeans in my office, um, French, Italian, German, etc. you know, primarily from those three countries. And they were just like, we're completely shocked. And I'm like, well, there's life outside of London, you know, um, what? So, you know, it's not, you know, it's not just this kind of London conscious liberal bubble. You know, there are people up north that have felt really hard done by because of Margaret Thatcher's policies and stuff like that. And they've been wanting, they, they've been wanting to get their revenge for what, nearly 40 years now. So, you know, and, and I, I guess last year or how many years ago it was provided them two with years, the opportunity yeah. to do so. Two years. So, yeah. So, I, you know, that's, that's kind of how I feel about politics. But I would say, and I think, I think that's one thing I've heard you say several times that people shouldn't be swayed by what they just see um, on the press in terms of headlines. They should look into these things. They should look as how they themselves are affected as, you know, a, a group in a community or as an individual part of the electorate. They should actually look for themselves. And I think it's very important. People should look at policies and see how does it actually affect me um, before you're just assuming, oh, 
you know, the Tories only support the rich people and then Labour support, you know, black people. I mean, these, these, these kind of stereotypes, a lot of them are embedded in truth, but you have to, you have to revise, you, you constantly have to revise that notion and check whether it, whether it's actually still true or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we move on, wasn't it? okay. So, what do you do outside of work? Are you involved in any sort of podcast publication? Like, what are you, what are you into? <laughs> You're letting me plug now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I'm part of a team called Capital Moments. Um, Done, no. Sure, <laughs> hopefully, the listeners um, are aware of of who we are as a collective. We we try and uh, tell people, particularly those who are, are, are younger. About about the importance of being commercially aware and knowing things and we have a strap line that says everything at, at, at 25 that you wish you knew at 16 so we do that um, i'm also part of another po- podcast called over the bridge which is for black and mixed race uh, brothers that we went to cambridge we talk about life um in cambridge and we we try to talk about general topics of the day um, but we try to talk about it with nuance because we've seen um you know a few uh, I mean, we did. We we re, we didn't do it in response to you know other kind of platforms that are there. But you know, I think d- discussing it, we've seen that a lot of platforms is kind of a lot of it is knee jerk reaction, and and yes. there's a lot of I think a lot of these discussions can be made better if people just appreciate the nuance, and actually people aren't scared to not engage in groupthink. And there's nothing wrong with disagreeing with people, um, so long as you can be calm about it, and so long as you can actually you know, have a reasonable conversation with someone, you know, and I think so that's what we we do and we try to provide at least a kind of different, not different perspective, but we try to keep each other on our toes and constantly think about, you know, the agenda of the day. And, and so that's kind of, you know, those those two things, you know, they, they, they keep me really busy. <laughs> so Yeah, of yeah. course. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll, put, I'll, I'll put the links to those in the description. So if you're listening on the Apple podcast, you just move your screen upwards and then you can click the link if on soundclouds i don't can't lie don't hide on soundcloud <laughs> so, <laughs> so godspeed to you all right cool so let's get into the actual uh main main course of the top of this podcast we're talking macroeconomical stuff so we've got two subjects and we'll go from there but we're first going to talk about what's popping in turkey because quite a lot of people have asked me they want me to discuss what's what's going on in in turkey so we'll start with that so as some of you may or may not know I, you should know by now well i hope you, I, I keep saying you should but that's why it's in this podcast because you probably don't pay attention to the news because quite a lot of it is a bit of total nonsense so <laughs> you might as well keep it here so we give you the decent bits of news in simple form so what's going on with turkey for those who haven't been to turkey or are not aware turkey do not have do, do not have um, the euro well you, they do accept euros in some stores obviously but their currency is the Turkish lira and what's been happening recently is you're seeing a massive slide in the value of the Turkish lira um, you're looking at depending on what time frame you're looking at within the last week well by the time you've heard this podcast in the last 10 days values have gone down if you compare it to dollar from 34 to 40% so that's massive massive drops in the Turkish lira so Tom, as somebody who keeps your ears to the streets and I'm talking about the financial streets, what's your thoughts on what's popping over in Istanbul and them? Um, I think it's a really, I think it's a number of factors that have, has, you know, that have led to this point um, with the currency just all of a sudden sliding. I think um, to even think about what's gone on in Turkey, I think, um, Turkey has been a country that has not always, but off off late, you know, had a bit of political um, instability. So there was a coup in 2016, mm-hmm. um, which at that time there was also a bit of a slide in the currency, not to the to the, to the degree that we've seen today, or not today, but as of kind of you know the immediate recent past. Um, and so that's kind of one of the elements. There's always been an element of political instability. President Erdogan is 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 the president. Um, his I believe his son-in-law is the finance minister. So it kind of tells you what's going on in, in the political powers that be in Turkey. The fact that you have a son-in-law, you know, is also having significant power. So that's kind of the structure that we see in Turkey. That's kind of one of the things which has been you know harboring around for a long time. I think one of the other factors that have has led up to this point is the discussion 
on the negotiations between the U.S. and Turkey in terms of trade, as as people may or may not know, the U.S. administration um, applied a tariff on steel and aluminium, and you know, times two, they that, doubled it. Yes, yeah, and and some of that definitely affects Turkey. Um, and so that was kind of one of the reasons as to why things were falling. There are also discussions between, I believe, a pastor who's in the U.S. Um, who the U.S. are trying to free, but Turkey are not prepared to yeah, release he's been, him. Yeah, he's been there for two years, so they're not trying to free my man. So Trump yeah. started letting letting them have it. <laughs> to, so yeah, there's been that kind of you know. So there are a number of factors, but I think um, it was kind of it's it's like the perfect storm, if you will. And I think that I think the biggest problem for Turkey really is is there is a lot of um, external funding, i.e., that a lot of companies and banks in Turkey get fun they get their funding um in u.s dollars yep. um and the problem it's not necessarily a problem doing that but turkey having the lira means it doesn't mean it has to but it means it has fx reserves it means it has a reserve of dollars um and what we've got to the point we've got to the point where now the um, the, the the amount of short-term external financing um, way exceeds the foreign exchange reserves that the Turkish Central Bank has. And then if you add the fact that a lot of banks have a claim on these uh, FX reserves, then it really means that if Turkey gets into a real pinch, um, you know, in terms of its current, in terms of currency fluctuations, in terms of actually heading into a recession, it means that the, the central bank can't really defend um, the currency not that it necessarily has to. I mean, the currency is is floating freely, but you know, in terms of actually being able to defend it against real contagion, it means it can't do that. And so, what we saw essentially was this perfect storm come together, and people are actually concerned about the external financing. You know, there are a lot of companies um, recently in Turkey who've had to restructure their their debt because of these sorts of concerns. The perfect, or the funniest example is Salt Bay. He, um, you know, he, the guy who has so many Turkish restaurants and we've seen the memes, he actually, I think, had to have a few billion um, of debt in dollars restructured because of the concerns um, about the relationship between the lira and the dollar and the FX reserve that the, the, the Turkish Central Bank have. So that's kind of one of the the problems. And I think, you know, it's, it's there also, so there was that kind of, that factor with the FX reserves has always been there for a while, but it's also not helped by the fact that the the, the administration of the day are not really particularly keen on the IMF. Um, usually, when you get to this situation where which is that inter know, international monetary fund, international monetary fund, thank you, and um, I know I can go for so so much jargon, um, so thank you, but it's <laughs> the, the, so. You know, the, usually with these steps, if a country needs support, it would usually go to the IMF. The IMF can provide reserves. They would have to, you know, pay it back or they could get some form of debt relief or something. But it doesn't look like Turkey actually wants to go to the IMF. Um, and it, another problem as well and is that Turkey currently has its policy rate. And the way we have our mon monetary policy rates here, so the Bank of England rate is what, 0.75 or something like that? Yeah. It's... You know, in Turkey, it is it's significantly higher than that. I, I can't remember what it was last time. I think it was like nine percent or something like that. Um, and so, what has meant is that you've had a lot of inflows of investment into Turkey. Again, putting pressure on the FX reserves. So there are a number of factors which have contributed to this. And it was just essentially, you know, what often tends to happen in markets. It can be a really, really small thing. Which can cause, you know, the lira and Turkish bonds and, you know, uh, bank credit to capitulate. And so that's kind of what we saw. It was almost just the perfect storm coming together. And people are concerned and, and, you know, people are concerned that, you know, people want to get their, people want to go and get their lira and change it into dollars and there will be a run on, on, on the currency. There'll be a run on the FX reserves that they have. So there are a number of issues at play here, um, which have stemmed from, you know, what I would call the long-term systemic issues that Turkey have, i.e. the reduction in those FX reserves, um, keeping policy rates, you know, so high that, you know, you can bring in, you can artificially inflate the amount of investment that you get in, um, as well as, you know, talk between the US and, and, and Turkey. So it's just, you know, it's almost this perfect storm. And, and you know, right now, from, a, I guess, a wider point, markets seem quite... Um, iffy at the moment you know you look at markets and people are you know people are concerned that the stock market if you look at you know say like the S&P the stock market seems to be going up yet earnings don't seem to be great so it just seems to be the tech companies that are holding it well you know there are concerns about 
you know, debt sustainability in Europe. And of course, you know, Donald Trump talking about trade and, you know, really coming for, you know, one of America's proudest industries, the automotive industry, it's, it's got people on jitters. And so this is just one of those knee-jerk reactions to jitters. And that's kind of what we've seen. Because this issue for Turkey has been there for quite a while, you know, losing, you know, reducing the FX reserves has been there for quite a while. So it just seems to be a bit of a perfect storm between all the things that I mentioned before. So, yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple of interesting things. We talk about the short term um, need for refinancing. I was looking at some some articles. Come across this, but um, you know, Fitch ratings based in um, mm-hmm. based in Harry. They say the refinancing needed is this year alone is almost two hundred thirty billion dollars, which is an astronomical mm-hmm. amount. Mm-hmm. And then we're talking that you were also talking about their um, their monetary policy. Even if you look at just the inflation problem, they got a bit of an inflation problem. They're taught like those listening to our podcast know that here in the UK we have a, a target of two point um, inflation rate. Their target is five percent. Last year mm-hmm. it was like ten percent, but this year prices are like floating around fifteen percent. So they got yeah. an inflation. They got inflation problem. Obviously, um, Erdogan. His views on economic economic policy are a bit, you know, somehow <laughs> he puts a lot of pressure <laughs> on the central bank. And then when you when you mesh that with with what's going on with Trump, as I said, um, well, before Trump announced the aluminium and steel tariffs, I think on, on the tenth, Friday the tenth of August, he said, Yeah, just a ramp up pressure on Turkey for not releasing um the pasta. He yep. said, Yeah, we're gonna double the tariffs for you, Turkey. So obviously the market's wrecked to that. And then their their stock markets are falling this year, 17%. If you look at it in dollars, forty percent. Their ten-year costs eighteen percent a year. So a lot of things are not in the greatest place for Turkey, and they have been like that for a while. Also, I remember you said something. Oh, what was you talking about? Uh, hold on, I've lost my trail of thought. You were talking. Oh, you're talking about the um, foreign investment because of their 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 rates. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because with Turkey, they like many countries. For example, the UK. They have a balance of payments issue, and balance of payments mm-hmm. is when you're when you're actually importing more than you're exporting. Effectively, you mm-hmm. can kind of say you kind of spending more than you're making. Yeah. So they have they have that they have that have a problem. I think it's like five five and a half percent of their national income. So how do they, how do they finance that that gap? And a lot of that is with foreign investment, and also of course borrowing. And speaking of borrowing, yeah. I was reading. I think it was even the FT. Or maybe it was the BBC. I can't remember one. One of those publications. That one of the problems right now is that investors are a bit worried with Turkish companies because they've borrowed quite a lot to kind of benefit from the construction boom, and yep. a lot of these companies they didn't borrow the Turkish lira. They borrowed in dollars borrowed in and dollars. sometimes in yeah. euro. If your currency, the Turkish lira, is weaker, that means your Turkish lira is is bringing you back less dollars and euros before. So effectively. Yep you have to pay more money back. And yeah. that is another problem for Turkey. And it's kind of, as you said, a quiet storm all rolled into one, end up with the currency getting kicked in the head for, for a while. Um, I think earlier in the year, I think $1 gets you like under four Turkish lira. That's at, right, yeah. At one point, yeah. $1 was getting you seven Turkish lira. I think right now it's like just under six. So That's right. it's a bit it's a bit mad in Turkey. So in terms of, okay, we've discussed like the, the economic factors. So mm-hmm. I like to relate it to everyday people. So yeah. how? Let's first of all talk about how this affects Turkish people because we might have some Turkish listeners or some people who know Turkish people, and then we'll talk about how it it can affect people here. Um, so well, I mean, how how would you how does how does this affect the everyday person in Turkey? Would you say or or, well, the, or, think, the, or the everyday business in Turkey? I mean, I think I think right now I think the the this this kind of reminds me about the sovereign crisis issue. Um, years ago, not with Greece um, back in kind of 2009, but kind of like 2011, 12, the sovereign crisis issue. Um, initially, it was just the financial, the contagion um, or risks of contagion were just contained to the financial industry. Um, this at the moment seems to be um, containable with the financial industry. You know, a lot of people are asking 
um, right now, which banks have exposure. And there are a number of banks um, in Europe that have exposure to to um, Turkey. And, and that's more to do with the FX reserves and, you know, swapping liras back to dollars and euros. And so there are banks like BBVA in Spain, uh, Unicredit in Italy, which already has its problems because of all the Italian stuff going on. Yes, yeah, um, ING in Holland. Um, and so there are kind of questions about, you know, why these guys in Turkey. So right now it just seems to be, at least from, from where I'm sitting, it seems to be a bit of a, a financial issue. But I think, of course, um, I think the trade and the tariffs, I think ultimately, you know, that you know, I, I think the issue with trade and with tariffs, generally the, the opinion is that it reduces um, uncertainty and investment is driven by certainty. So if you don't have certainty, you have less investment. And, and Turkey, you know, geographically is an interesting place because it's wedged right between Europe and Asia. And so it seemed to be the bridge between the two. And, you know, when you look at policies uh, or countries that have policies like China with its one belt, one road, you know, in terms of getting things from, from Europe all the way to, to, to China, it would do it by Turkey. And so, you know, I think that there are kind of longer term implications, but I think, you know, honestly, I think for the time being, it's kind of hard to tell. I think, of course, by the currency um, falling, it means that to us uh, as consumers, it is somewhat cheaper to go. Yeah, to, it's time to, to hit Turkey, Turkey lads. You know, it's, <laughs> it's time to think about Turkey as a destination. And so I think that's kind of great for us. And maybe they might be able to, you know, to, to, to the economy might be able to recover um, that way, uh, you know, kind of by the, 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 um, uh, the, the import channel, if you will. Well, yeah. Yeah, import, export, that kind of, you know, money flows from us to them and, you know, us getting goods from Turkey. So, but I think in terms of the implications right now, um, I think a lot of it is contained within the, the financial industry. It really is kind of uh, uh, a monetary matter right now. I think what we have to really see, um, apart from, I mean, sanctions aside, because that one has a real impact in terms of jobs, because ultimately that's what sanctions is all about. This is why President Trump is talking about you know, sanctioning, you know, sanctions are designed to hurt a number of ways. One, economically, so no one actually does any business with anyone, as you may know, and listeners may know, there was a, there was a sanction that was reinstated in Iran uh, quite recently. And so that's designed to actually hurt the economy by people no longer doing business there. So, you know, sanctions and tariffs, that is what it's designed to do. It's designed to inflict pain. But the story with the FX going down, that's not necessarily a problem. There is a longer-term implication of whether the Turkish central bank can actually, you know, do they want the currency to, to, to be as weak as it currently is? And will they fight that by, you know, doing some currency interventions, you know, in other words, buying up Lira by selling dollars when it's already, you know, it's, it's, it's draining its FX reserves already. Um, and also in the case of, in the case of, you know, there is, there is a, a threat of, of, of recession by means of the currency becoming weaker that's another channel as well. So it, it's kind of by indirect effect, there is a, a, the possibility that the normal consumer can be hurt by the ways in which you've probably discussed in other podcasts before, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's again, because it's, there's so many factors at play. It's not necessarily easy to pinpoint uh, one particular thing. We can go one by one and say, this is what the tariffs will do. Uh, this is what, you know, the loss of FX reserves will do, but it's what happens when there's the culmination of all of those things. Um, and what happens when you get another perfect storm? And what does that actually mean? You know, longer term, if, if we carry on in, with this train of thought, then you, you potentially get some kind of recession going on in Turkey. And of course, that hurts, you know, everything. It hurts consumption. It hurts investment. You know, people do not want to be lavish with their money anymore. So there's definitely that effect that can come through. But, you know, that, that takes a particular line of, of thinking. But it is, it's very foreseeable at this point in time. Um, that we could, you know, potentially get a recession quite soon, especially if investors don't particularly have confidence in Turkey. And, and, and it's one looking way that way. Yeah, exactly. And one way of measuring that, that level of confidence is, is, is the, you know, what the, the currency, what the local currency is doing against the greenback, against the dollar. So, and it just doesn't seem to be going that way. And it, it reminds me of uh, um, uh, the Deutschmark uh, or, well, what's that thing? Black, Black Wednesday, 1992. A pound against the Deutschmark um, when I think it was Soros who just didn't believe that the UK could keep up when the UK was trying to enter um, the euro or the, the the DRM as it was known back then I think uh, the Bank of England had rates at an incredible high rate 
And I think it was Soros who said, I don't believe the Bank of England can sustain this and keep, you know, monetary policy that high in the teens to keep things going. And he was right. And the pound kind of blew up. And then we went into a bit of a recession, kind of came back by something in economics called the J-curve effect. I won't go into it, but people should look it up. Um, kind of an external lead recovery uh, by an effect called the J-curve effect. Um, and so that can kind of happen. You can kind of get this recession, but if it's come through the currency channel, you could possibly get a J-curve effect style recovery. But then it's a question of how open is the economy? Um, has the Turkish government decided to close off the economy or not for that J-curve effect to even happen in the first place? Um, so yeah, you know, that, that can, that can, that can happen. So yeah. Okay. So that's Turkey for those who ask, that's what's going on in Turkey. That's why you're seeing it on the news nonstop. All right, cool. So, and next, like one of my guys, shout out Yom, he asked to talk about yield curves. And (laughs) (laughs) so, and that kind of ties in a little bit with what you do, Tom. So I thought, yeah, okay, we could talk about this. So, so this is quite a geeky um, eco- um, episode. So, you guys are learning some more, small stuff. So, <laughs> so now when you hear them talk about ten years and yields, you kind of understand what these people in suits and shiny suits are talking about. So, um, Tom, how what 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 the hell is a yield curve? <laughs> What is a yield curve? I think we need to. I think this is when we're going to have to break it down step by step by step because I can go in and say this is the yield curve, but I, I think it's important just to break it down and and just um, I guess just explain how um, you know. Well, just explain from basics. So um, as I said earlier, you know, a lot of companies borrow and they borrow by issuing debt. They can also raise money by. Uh, issuing equity as well the primary difference between the two we might as well go all the way from the top right down Um, and and the difference between you know a company would issue equity but it's like dragon's den you've seen when they go in dragon's den and say i want a hundred thousand for 50 percent of my company you get a hundred thousand but you've lost half your company already because somebody's funded you for that that's kind of what equity does as a company issues equity it loses its own stake um so there are a number of you know families who own companies that have lost their stake because you know they've given it to investors to invest in the company now if somebody wants to get a form of funding but doesn't want to lose um its ownership its stake in you know the company it can issue debt the only thing with debt typically i mean of course someone can say oh there are exceptions but we're just you know bear with me we're just dealing with high level things here is if i'm not getting a stake in a company, but I'm having to lend money to you. I need to get compensated in some way, shape or form. So what somebody says is, okay, we, you know, I'll, I'll take funding, but I need to be compensated and I need to get some kind of return on my money. So that essentially is what we call a a bond or corporate debt. However, you know, but basically that's what debt is and debt comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not just what we look at on a day to day basis. A mortgage is a form of debt. You know, you get money, um, but you have to pay back the interest and also remember that, you know, typically banks have, you know, they have a claim on the house if you don't pay the mortgage, God, God forbid, of course. But, you know, there, there are, you know, that's, that's another way of getting financing. Now, when we think about countries, all countries, if we break down what a country does without going into looking into sectors and segments, you know, a company does two things. It spends money and it collects money. Um, it collects money typically by taxes. Generally speaking, there are other ways as well, but generally by taxes, but it also spends money too. Now, what happens is that the spending tends to exceed um, the income. And so that gap is funded by debt. And you think about it, it'd be very weird for us as, as consumers or investors to own a stake in the UK, as, as in not just a stake in my house or a stake in my company, but a stake in the entire UK. So the UK does not issue equity. Um, it may issue equity in companies, but in terms of this is my claim, I owe 1% of the entire UK, it doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, a lot of governments will issue debt to fill out that funding a gap between how much money it makes and how much money it spends. And so what we see is each year, governments of the day will issue debt. And we see that across pretty much all governments, essentially. And what governments choose to do is they issue debt across different time spans or different maturities. So you get some uh, government expa- expa- issuing... Explain what a maturity is. So um, a maturity is basically just a time frame. So, you know, 
we can have a one year maturity. That means that the, the, the period of which I'm, you know, getting a, a loan or I'm lending money to someone for is one year. A 10 year maturity is just a 10 year time span. So when we talk about maturity, it's basically just a time, a time frame or time span. Um, so that's very simply what a maturity is. So, and, and so what happens is governments will choose to issue, um, debt issue bonds, if you will, at different maturities across different time spans. So you have some governments issuing really, really short-term paper, 30, 60, 90-day paper. Um, people say, why does the government need to issue that? Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, you know, some governments may want to pay salaries um, and things like that, and, and they will use short-term, what we call commercial, or it can be deemed in the markets as commercial paper, really short-term paper to fund that. Um, and sometimes it, well, it can issue very, very long dated paper. So in the UK, I think we have a bond that goes up to 2071, I think. Um, I can even check that, but we have, you know, um, bonds that span across maturities. So across timeframes. So to go and explain how a yield curve works, we need, so I've explained that the government issues bonds and it issues bonds across different timeframes. We now need to explain how a yield curve actually works. So, if you think about it, and uh, this will ask you a, a, a question, um, if I was going to lend you a hundred quid, yeah, and and I, I were to say to you, and, and and or you were to say to me, I need it for you know one year, or I need it for ten years. Um, which amount of time do you think I would want more money from in terms of me, you, you paying me back more money? Um, the longer time, 10 years, because it's going to take you 10 years to get your money back. There you go. Exactly. So it's, it, that's exactly very simply how it works. It's all a case of opportunity cost, which I'm, I know you've gone into here before. But just for those who may have not necessarily you know, heard that before, heard it in a while, opportunity cost is, you know, what's the next best thing that I can do with the money that I'm not doing? So if you think about it, if I, if I am having to lend someone something for a year, that is very different than me lending them the same amount of money for 10 years. Why? Because I know in a year, I hope, I hope I get my money back. Um, but in 10 years, there are a lot of things I can do in 10 years more than I can do in one. So with that kind of, um, knowledge in mind, that is how a yield curve looks at, uh, kind of how a yield curve maps out, generally speaking. So. If a, a, a company or a, a, we're talking about governments here, so if a, if a sovereign, we call, we call government sovereigns when we talk about this. So when a sovereign issues a bond, which is very, very short dated, the return or the coupon doesn't have to be as large as compared to if it's doing so for a longer time period. And essentially you get this kind of nice, um, concave kind of hockey stick shape of a yield curve. Typically that's what yield curve typically looks like. Um, there are also other ways in which you can assess it, but in terms of a, a really bottom-up view, that's kind of how you look at yield curves. Okay, so Tom eloquently explained from the bottom to the top what a yield curve looks like. It goes up, 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 and then eventually kind of flattens out. Well, that's the mm -hmm. that's the um, normal yield curve. So, some the question that um, my guy Yomi asks is can you use a yield curve to predict a recession? So as David, my guy David Bell said, I think it was like three podcasts ago, a recession is when you have two consecutive quarters of negative growth. So that mm -hmm. basically means that, yo, it's, it's not looking good in the economy right now. So <laughs> Economy is tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally, the economy is tight. Yeah. So, you, so there's a debate on if you can use the yield curve, which Tom Ennickley explains, like basically plotting different maturities across time. Can you use this to predict when your country is going to enter, enter, basically enter doom, essentially? And this is quite an interesting debate because with some countries, you, well, with a country particularly, you can, almost. And with other countries, it's not that clear-cut. So before I share my thoughts, Tom, so what, what do you think about using yield curves to predict um, recessions depending on the, the country in question? Uh, the answer, long, long and short, the answer is no, you yeah. cannot. Um, you could have years ago. Um, I mean, there are a number of ways to go about this. I don't even know how to start this. I think, I think the reference 
that your your friend was alluding to was using the U.S. yield curve. Yep. Because the U.S. yield curve has inverted um, during a number of periods of time and been able to predict recessions. Yeah. So since um, the mid '90s. So what what Tom's referring to? So you know how we said the curve goes kind of upwards and slopes out. So that means the long term debt. Um, Yields more yields than more than the short term debt. So when it's inverse, is the other way around, and usually when you are, and the reason why the basically the method behind this is that obviously banks want short term deposits so they can fund long term loans, right? So mm-hmm. you want to get as much money in as possible in the short term so you can fund the long term loans. What how they make their money is that in a difference in the difference of the interest rates. So obviously, you, they'll be collecting a higher interest rates on loan as they, than they'll be given out on the deposits. That's how they make their money. The net interest rate margin between that basically correlates with the yield curve, with the steepness of the yield curve. So when that's flipped over, that's when banks start cutting back on loans that they um, issue because, and that essentially starts to hurt people investing because obviously if there's less loans there's less investment because not as much money is being not as much capital is out there um, not much credit is out there for you to come alone to make to start investing in shit in your businesses or getting a house or whatever you have have you made and that's meant to be kind of like an indicator and also you could say um, the inversion of the yield curve kind of shows signs okay monetary policy is getting tight because if if you're planning to obviously increase interest rates and short and short term yields are faster than long term yields that kind of means that your the influence of monetary policy is not as high so that's kind of the theory behind it yeah i mean kind of kind i mean there's i mean there there are, there are several ways to look at what happens in a yield curve invert so um as 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 Dissu rightly mentioned when you have you know the the yield curve without actually mapping it on a curve, it's basically going, if you were to just draw a straight line, it goes from bottom left to top right. I mean, obviously there's a curve, which is why we call it a yield curve. And we'll perhaps go into why um, curves do bend um, and kind of invert because certain curves are inverted, even though we don't know they're inverted. We'll go into that in a bit. But, um, you know, roughly um, it goes from bottom left to top right. Now, if a curve inverts, what you're saying is that instead of going from bottom left to top right, you're not going from... Uh, top left to bottom right. I'm 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 exaggerating, but just to make it easy for someone to map it out, that's kind of what happens. And you're basically saying, look, you're basically saying I kind of have more confidence that there'll be more growth in the economy in the short term than in the than in the long term, because another way to look at a yield and a yield curve is not just in terms of being compensated in terms of all right, if there's a longer time span, I need to be compensated. It's also thinking about risk you know that's why people invest in in instruments to do with risk and of course the the longer um you you give someone money for there's a longer there's a higher chance that you won't get the money back so again you're compensated for it now if yield curves invert you're saying all right i have a lot of, of confidence in the short term than the long term because what actually goes into a yield are things like inflation are things like real growth and one way of looking at it is saying look in the short term i believe that economic growth is going to be higher in the short term than it will in the long term that's another way of looking at it and so you know what we've seen um years ago i mean we we, we've seen it in the u.s we've seen it a couple of times uh, in recent years but the problem with um that kind of school of thought now is that a number of things have changed um number one inflation isn't really uh, such an important driver of government yields anymore um, to go, at, I guess, since we're talking about inversion of yield curves, you have to be a little bit technical. But as I said earlier, a way of looking at a yield curve or what goes into a yield is the real economic growth. Um, and different people have different opinions as to what it is here in the UK. It varies between one and a half to two percent. So over, you know, over a long term period, it's believed that the UK will grow at a, at a steady state, if you will, of two percent. It's just a belief that someone has. And on top of that, there's also this belief on what inflation will be. Inflation is nowhere near as high as it once was. Yeah, of course. And that means that inflation is no longer an important part of the curve. And what you've had years ago, if we go back to the kind of Alan Greenspan, Paul Volcker, Paul Volcker years, was that inflation was running really high and they were using monetary policy to deal with inflation, but also create um, recessions because they were raising rates to be incredibly high 
that it basically cut the the economy because when you have rates so high it can be prohibitive in terms of activity because it's like oh my gosh you know if you've got you know interest rates up in the teens how can you possibly get a mortgage you know and sustainably pay for it you know i won't go into the technicals of how you get you know the mechanism between um um, um, going from 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 a policy rate to what it actually looks like, but you know, inflation, which is so high, and dealing with with it in terms of increasing monetary policy can can really create uh, recession. So that was in, uh, recession led, and so of course that led to uh, an inversion of the yield curve. Because another thing which I think is quite important for this 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 debate and argument is that um, generally. Monetary policy affects the very short end of the curve, and by the short end, I mean we're talking not two years, um, and it doesn't really have much effect on on on. Oh, quickly, because because, I mean, we're, because we're talking quite a lot of technical stuff. What just yeah. refresh your listeners? What is monetary policy? So, monetary policy is basically what um, actions taken by the central bank. So, in our case, in the UK, it would be actions taken by the Bank of England. Uh, it would be in the US, it'd be actions taken by the Fed or the Federal Reserve. Uh, and in Europe, it would be actions taken by the, the ECB or the European Central Bank. And there are ways in which you can, can, you know, there are policy tools that these guys have to, to move the economy around. And the most, the most classic, if you will, is the use of interest rates and interest rates essentially have a push and pull effect because, of course, if you have uh, higher rates, it means that there's higher saving, but on the, on the same hand, it also means that lending becomes more expensive. And so what central banks do, they pull the lever of lower, higher interest rates to either stimulate the economy, either, and that's by easing rates, which means that it's kind of, you know, credit is easier. In other words, people can, you know, it means that we can lend a lot more and we can get the economy going by consumption. But sometimes they want to pull back the economy, either because, you know, wages are growing too fast. I wish wages were growing too fast. Amen. But, you know, Amen. <laughs> wages are growing too fast or generally inflation's growing too fast. So they increase rates and, and the effect of that. And I'm, I'm going very, through it very quickly. And, and if somebody wants to sell, you can be technical. I do acknowledge there is a, a monetary um, transmission mechanism, but I just want to keep it as simple as no, I can. No, 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 no. F those people. This is just normal. This ain't, this ain't, this ain't the FT. Uh, if they want to hear that, they can go to, they can go to Bloomberg. <laughs> um and so my guy no real we'll talk we're, we're trying to educate people not sound smart but go on yeah you're right you're right and so you know when when uh, when a, uh, a central bank increases rates and we're not talking increases rates now from from the incredible lows that we're seeing we're sort of increasing rates from maybe three four percent wherever the normal rate will eventually end up essentially what the government or the, the central bank i should say is doing is saying right the economy is perhaps moving a bit too too quickly inflation's a bit up we want to control that because we don't um we don't want the economy to overheat which is one of the signs of of um, inflation if you will so by getting policy increasing um base rates it makes it harder for me to lend from the bank harder for me to get out a mortgage so the economy activity just seems to slow down a bit and it's kind of this seesaw effect um but of course it all changed in 2008 um it all changed with the financial crisis and when everything went boom Everything went boom, and that was because credit was perhaps um, so, so, so easy. Um, and, I mean, we won't go into the, the financial crisis. Maybe we can do it another time. But what you definitely saw was the policy reaction from central banks was to make policy very, very easy. And what I mean by that was reducing rates to unprecedented lows. Now, another thing that distorts um, the school of thought that yield curve inversions can predict um, – recessions is that central banks don't just now have um the 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 base rate lever to pull on yeah basically yes yes i'll just agree with you sorry yeah it's not just the lever to pull as we now know central banks have have used quantitative easing so have used you know balance sheet techniques in other words you know buying a lot of assets trying to stimulate the economy at least trying to um and that ultimately means that essentially for the last, I don't know, decade or so, that the policy rate that we see, you know, the kind of 0.75 from the Bank of England isn't the most important thing. For a long time, it wasn't that, you know, the Bank of England base rate was at 0.25% or 0.5%. It was the fact that quantitative easing was at 375 billion in this country and a lot more in, 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 in Europe and a lot more in, uh, in the Federal Reserve. So that was kind of what was more important. So essentially, the regime has changed. Um, uh, you know, some other facts that kind of make me think we don't necessarily, we can't use, you know, yield curves to predict uh, um, 
processions is that if you think about it, right, the German yield curve, it has inverted a couple of times as well. So it's not just in the US, but it inverted, I think it inverted back in... Um, 2012? Yeah, uh, just, just, yeah, kind of just, just after that, it kind of inverted um, kind of just the, the, around the recovery after the sovereign crisis. But there was a slowdown in Germany, I think in 2015-16, and the yield curve didn't invert. Oh, that, right? sorry, that's 2014, 2014-2015, yeah, area, yeah. And the yield curve didn't invert, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm of the school of thought that actually, if a yield curve inverts in one place, it should be able to invert at other other places too, right? But it's 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 you know the the, the yield curve itself is very complicated. If we think about the UK, the UK yield curve has been inverted for years now. And not at the short end, at the long end. Because if anyone gets a map out of, of the UK yield curve, um, and as I said, the UK has got some really, really long dated paper. It's got, you know, paper that matures in 2065. It's got paper that matures in 2068. And it's now got paper that matures in 2071. So super long dated paper that the UK has. Now, if anyone draws out a map, um, or a map, or, well, a map of the yield curve, if for the UK, as we get towards the super, super long end, the kind of dates that I've mentioned, as we get towards maturities that are sort of 30 years, 40 years plus, the yield curve actually bends back in. It doesn't actually go back out. And it's been an interesting phenomenon. So there's actually a kind of inversion in the UK. But the UK, while it's gone through recessions, you know, this UK curve has been has remained inverted and yet it hasn't predicted a recession. And so even you know, even like, if you look at even if you look at Japan, Japan. Yeah. Yeah. The yield curve um, hasn't inverted since 1991, yet Japan has been slapped with hella recessions. Like, yeah, exactly. Even exactly. like 2014, I, when the government raised sales taxes, I think they doubled sales tax, you got hit with a mad recession. The yield curve still didn't move. So, yeah, exactly. And I, th- I, think, I think the interesting thing with Japan is that the government and the central bank have been engaged in something called yield curve control. So they've actually been controlling where you know, their yield should actually be. So if you've got a central bank controlling where yield should be, how possibly can the, the, the yield curve invert if, if someone's controlling where the, where, the, where the yield should be, right? So, you know, it's, it's, there are a lot of factors and we have to, I guess that, that kind of leads you to get into technical points as to what actually makes a yield curve move. Now, if I think about the UK, the reason why the UK has, has that significant bending at the end is because there's a massive pension community that loves to buy UK long-dated paper. Insurance companies love to buy long-dated debt because if you think about it, right, we, by the grace of God, are going to go get our pensions in, I don't know how many years' time. I don't know what it will be. But when we get our pensions from, you know, the Peru, Aviva, you know, all these household names, when we get a pension out, that's a liability to them. In other words, they have to pay out that pension to us. Now, how can they match their, their liabilities with their assets? Well, they can buy a government bond that gets them paid in 50 years plus interest and they can match that with the fact that they have to pay you a pension in 50 years and there's been a lot of that 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 pension buying in the uk long end um and also we've seen a lot of other sovereigns in europe issue really longer dated paper we saw austria do it off the top of my head a few years back we even see we've even seen in the emerging market space argentina issue a 100 year bond and a lot of that demand for super super long dated paper um, it's it's well demanded, so that means that ultimately, if something is in high demand, that means the price goes up. And I'm I'm sure this you've done the maths before the the relationship between prices and yields. So uh, no need to go into it. But as prices go up, yields go down, and that's what's happened with um uh, with with the government bond in at, at, at the UK long end or the ultra long end. And you know each year you get demand for these insurance companies keep saying to the UK government, please issue more of this longer dated paper so we can buy it and we can match our assets and our liabilities. So you know the UK curve has been inverted, it hasn't predicted a recession. The US curve, okay, it's been inverted and it has been able to predict recessions, but there are a number of factors at play here. And also another thing to remember as well is that we are at a very different time period than we were before in the sense that you know, a yield curve, you know, US 10-year yields used to yield things in the teens, right? 13, 14% and up. We have to go back a long time. But now, US 10-year yields aren't even touching 3%. 
And so what you've had is you've had this significant flattening of this curve where the yield curve is very flat. So instead of going at this 45 degree, as I said earlier, from going from bottom, bottom left to top right at like 45 degrees, you're now having to go, at, I don't know, like 20 degrees. The yield curve has flattened so much. And a part of that is people buying into safety because they see government bonds are safe, um, inflation coming down and that being reflected in yields as well, a number of factors. But, you know, the, the game has changed. And so, you know, the question is, you know, does a bond trader at, you know, at some shopping and investment bank know more about the economy than, than we do? Not necessarily. They might know about markets, but not necessarily the economy. And does, is their ability to predict things better than, you know, our ability to predict things? Again, not necessarily. So, you know, I, I do understand where people say, oh, yield curves can predict um, uh, recessions. And it's true. It's been it's true in the past. But we also have to remember we're in a very, very different monetary regime. And we've been in a different regime for a long time. And we've been in a regime where governments, or not governments, central banks, have been now playing around with yield curves to get the results that they want. Um, you know, we just have to go back, I think, to 2012 Operation Twist, kind of, you know, I think it was buying at the longer end, selling at the shorter end to just push down the yield curve. And so you now have governments that have actually, and central banks that have got involved in the yield curve. Japan have been engaged in, in yield curve control, trying to get the yield curve where they want it to be, when they want it to be, as it will. So I think now that you have so many players in the market, especially the central banks that are buying the stuff, you know, they can get yields to essentially be where they want it to be. And so, you know, if a central bank, I'm being really skeptical here, but if a central bank doesn't want the yield curve to invert and it holds a lot of its own paper, then by all means, it will make sure it doesn't get the yield curve to invert. Um, I think Keynes had a phrase that said, you know, uh, the, the market can stay irrational longer than you can say, stay solvent. There is no trader, individual trader, that can outfight um, a central bank in terms of its buying power. There is no one trader that can do that. And so if a government, uh, the government central bank says, I want the yield curve to look like this, I want it to be like this, and this is in the era of quantitative easing, then there's no way the yield curve can, can invert if the government and central bank don't want the yield curve to invert. So I think that, you know, it, it's a good point. And I think if, if markets were being able to, you know, able to operate more freely, and I'm not saying this in a kind of, you know, laissez-faire kind of thing. I'm saying if, 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 you know, markets in rates were able to operate without um, central banks behind it, then maybe it might be a, a you know a better indicator. But I think the fact that you have you know the ECB and and the central bank and and the Fed and the Bank of England, they were the largest players in you know in credit in rates for such a long time that they could make you know curves look like you know how they wanted it to look like. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, you know I I think I think there are a lot of factors at play. So in short, I think knows the answer. Um, and yeah. So there you have it. Yield that was, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was very good, very good um, detailed analysis. And it's always good to, I always like to speak to people who have a bit more knowledge and you have quite good historic knowledge. So, hmm, should, should we talk, what was you going to talk about before? What was you going to talk about before when we decided to do this podcast in the first place? I'm sure something that wasn't this. Um, we are going to talk about credit, actually. I think that was what we are going to talk about. We kind of spoken about that, though. We just, I don't know. Oh, yeah, kind of. So, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll leave it here for now. I would love to have you on again, like, plenty of times, because you're great. So, you just got to let me know when you're, <laughs> you just gotta let me know when you're free, bro. Anytime. Listen, I've been chasing you for about a year, man. Uh, I wouldn't say you said, like, two things. I don't, that's a bit, not much of a chase. You said two things in 30, 365 days. Chase, no, I mean, I mean, I actually, I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, he's been chasing me. Said, like, I saw you at the Capital Moments event like a few months ago. You might have messaged me once on Twitter or something, but no, no, for real, for real, jokes aside, definitely like to have you. And I would like to have you probably at the same time as one of my boys, David, so we could talk markets and all that type of things. But yeah, Tom, thank you for coming on and describing yield curves, talking about Turkey in, in great depth. And I've, I personally thought that you managed to make that very easy to follow but if anyone has any questions for either of us where can they where can they where can they contact you uh i don't use social media so any no. questions that you may have pass it to, to this and he'll get back to me um i don't i don't use any social media so okay uh, of course yeah. so yeah, you yeah. guys will have to ask me and <laughs> then, then, <laughs> then if i don't know the answer or if you want tom specific 
Um, I will shout Tom in it. But again, quick, quickly plug um, your socials before we um, scram and get on with our miserable lives. <laughs> our blessings, man. So, uh, Capital Moments, as you know, uh, and if you don't know, it's, it's Twitter. The handle was Capital Moments um, for the Over the Bridge podcast. Um, it's uh, at OTB Podcast UK. Um, for those who are kind of, we're, we're doing this uh, recording around uh, results season for A-levels. Um, NCCC is coming up soon as well. So congratulations to all those who are listening, our, our slightly younger listeners. Um, congratulations if you got into the university of, of, of choice. Um, university doesn't define you. So if you didn't kind of make it, it's all right. Um, just sit down, take time to reevaluate. Uh, but congratulations either way. Um, yeah, continue to listen to, to Dysonomics. Um, yeah, man. No, it's, you know, you, you know, I, you know, I said to people, I, I think, I think you need to carry on this franchise, man. Like I said to people, you need to stick with this franchise. Yeah. And just stay doing this. This is a platform for you, man. So like more, more, more of this, you know, what you need to do, you need to have a, you need to have a Twitter just dedicated to economics and not get the economics and the football conflated. Oh yeah, it's true. Well, speaking of Twitter, yeah, yeah, yeah. they kicked my account literally yesterday <laughs> as I recorded this. So, oh my <laughs> God. Yeah, but people, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to return, but if I do, then yeah, but um, oh boy, it's sad. They forgot about that shit. Damn, <laughs> they got you, man. Yeah, they got me. Uh, they got me again. They got me again. again. Yeah, I got, I got, I got, got last year. I had to come back. <laughs> they panned me again, bro. So they're letting me know that I'm not welcome in these Twitter streets. But you can catch me. Oh uh, man. Yeah, but it is what it yeah. is. But all right, cool. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. And as you know, how where can we find it on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts? So what's the name? It's uh you know what yeah now nah, you're putting me on a spot so over the let me just check now over the bridge on soundcloud i think you should just just be able to see yeah if you bridge. type yeah so if you type over the bridge you should see you should see it the artwork is is that four of you in artwork right yeah 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 that's right with a bridge behind us yeah, a bridge, right. yeah so um, it's like pretty self-explanatory very good artwork so yeah, make yeah. sure you check that out and subscribe and definitely give it five stars but yeah tom Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It's like it's not my own podcast, you know. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. Man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully to get you back on again soon. And yeah, those listening, thank you for listening. If you follow me on Twitter and, and you are used to me updating you when my podcast come in, um, unfortunately, that, I want to say luxury, but <laughs> that that little, <laughs> I don't know, that perk has now vanished for the time being. But rest assured podcasts come every Sunday 10.30 on your SoundCloud on your Apple Podcasts so if you, just because you don't see me tweet make sure that you just go and check it will be there in fact you should even put notifications on help your boy out but yeah continue <laughs> to listen expect word of mouth my Twitter's gone so I can't feed the streets like I, like I was tell the streets <laughs> that man's thought about follow also, you can get me on Twitter not Twitter sorry Instagram Dysonomics and I'm going to sort out Facebook and I'll probably I'm going to try and start writing again for my website disanomics.com but yeah thank you for listening God bless Sports Social Podcast Network